and use a word, a very simple word for all of the methods and the strategies that are used and it boils down to something called technique something that would drive you nuts if you try to study what they, what they mean at the top by technique they literally mention it in every second sentence for big thick books it's so important to them and it kind of boils down to this is a rough a rough idea really of mine what it boils down to is that if something can be done it will be done if it's economically feasible and it serves a ruling elite basically it will be done that's why it's mandated that we all get ration cards eventually ID cards and all kinds of cards and eventually of course just your ID chip we're being trained for the chip if people don't really get that point yet back with more after this break I am Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix, just mentioning how they go on and on in the high economics fields, really high economics fields, about something called technique. And even Lenin went on about it too, uh, about how uh, techniques, everything is technical in, in nature, and even organization itself is technically produced, and managerial classes are technical as well, as they solve problems. But also it went into the material creation of things, distribution of things, and how eventually they'd have to basically come into a new system for the whole world because the capitalist system, which funded him, uh, would overproduce and not everyone could afford to buy the things that they actually made. Whereas under his idea, the new combined socialist system, which we're going into right now of communists and capitalism, and that was always the idea, so see, that's why the capitalists funded the communist system, their antithesis, to bring in the third way. Socialism, world, Fabian socialism, and in that way, supposedly, they wouldn't get all the waste. And right now we're going through a period where we have to cut back on what they call waste, you see, as we get trained into the socialist system. Now, you find that there are substitutes for war, and war also gets rid of what they call surplus, uh, the surplus funds in government and keeps them borrowing from banks. Therefore, the power structure is held together through the same, again, technique by substitutes for wars. We have wars on terror, wars on obesity from the UN, uh, wars on drugs, wars on poverty, wars on, wars on everything under the sun. And th these really have taken over because they're very expensive to run regardless of what they do or or don't do what they claim they can do and what they actually can do and what the real reasons are are really irrelevant to the whole object of it because the object is to simply have what appears to be a war a very expensive war on a whole bunch of things that's what all the crisis creation is partially about training a generation into a new way and in 2001 and I've said this quite a few times uh, when the towers got hit I said you're going to see the whole warfare scenario people moving around uh, like they did at New Orleans eventually uh, like, like refugees being scattered across the country resettled uh, people who will be on rations eventually and here it is in the news now the BBC the British Broadcasting Corporation is owned by the British government, but really it's higher than just the government, it's the British establishment. The government's a front 
It's always been a front for the British establishment. The very wealthy elite families that prefer to keep their names out of newspapers. And I know at one time all they recruited for the BBC were people from Eton to make sure that a particular class ran all propaganda. And that was the function when even BBC Radio started up, if you read its history, was for propagandic purposes, especially in World War I. They actually pioneered strategies of, for the, along with the Tavistock Institute to try and get people into the war, young men into the war. H.G. Wells was recruited again by them, and he worked for the Fabian Society at the same time and then the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Wells was a guy who dreamed up the term the Hun to demonize the enemy, so they called him the Hun. And they came up with the, the, the drawing of a, a big helmet. That's all you saw was a helmet, a dark face like Darth, Darth Vader, and a big bayonet. And uh, out came the slogans, uh, the Hun and the Sun, and get down with the Hun, and all that stuff. That was all propaganda to demonize the enemy by the BBC with the aid of people like H.G. Uh, Wells. H.G. Wells also, being a good propagandist, uh, found ways of getting young men to go into the, the military to get mowed down generally on their first day in combat because whole regiments and whole areas they're all recruited in their own areas were mown down often in their very first contact with the enemy because they had to march across muddy fields very flat uh, and uh, it was hailing machine gun fire just hails, constant hailing machine gun fire and most of the regiments got wiped out within about 15 minutes that was the Great War, as they called it. It was a great for, for depopulation purposes. But H.E. Wells also uh, wrote stories. One of them was about the white feather. And he told every young girl out there who had a fiancé or a boyfriend to wear a white feather if her boyfriend would not join the military and go and fight for Britain. So all these techniques, along with, see, with the help of Tavistock, were used. Psychology was used to get people to go in to the military. Now it's an awful, awful war. All wars are awful, but we don't realize that we're never told the real truth for going into wars, never ever told the real truth till maybe a hundred years after the event. And by that time, other generations have grown up and they don't care. But the BBC, as I say, have always been in the, area, the, the, the lead for propagandic purposes. That's their function. Whether this entertainment is full of politically correct updates, what's now politically correct, what's out, and all that kind of stuff. And here's an article here from the BBC News, uh, January the 7th, uh, by Finlow Rohrer. This is, it's 70 years since World War II rationing. Here you go, see? This is a trial balloon to get, you, get it into your head. Was brought in, and many past comment on the contrast between the current obesity epidemic and those healthier days of dearth. Health, healthier days, they call them. <clears throat> but how do people handle rationing and could we use the lessons to fight obesity now? On the 8th of January 1940, the UK tightened its belt and entered a period of privation that was to percolate through every layer of the national consciousness. As the system gathered momentum, the ordinary ration came to encompass meat, cheese, butter, margarine, bacon, ham, tea, preserves, sugar, and cooking fats such as lard. And it says there were also separate point system for canned foods, dry goods, and other groceries. Clothing and, and gasoline were also rationed. But it's perhaps the food ration that looms largest in the nation's memory. 
Every week the nation's housewives would queue with their ration books, just like they did in the Soviet Union, by the way, if you wonder at the similarity of it all. Everything works together, getting you trained. At shops, they had to register. You had to register at a shop, by the way, to use your ration cards just there. And then you'd get them, maybe to buy their allowances of groceries. The man charged with making the nation accept the idea of eating less was Lord Woolton, a department store boss brought into the government as Minister of Food. Minister of everything, exactly from H.G. Wells. Not H.G. Wells, I should say. From 1984, George Orwell. In fact, George Orwell, in his own uh, biography, mentions the fact that he was employed by the BBC. They brought him in. Uh, to work on in the food department of propaganda for the Ministry of Food. And he said his job was to convince the ordinary housewives that the, the rubbishy food they were given, the stuff that, that wasn't fit to eat, was actually healthier for them. And, and the scripts were all written for him to read off. So here they are at it again, trying to tell us it's best to go back this way. Social rancor. Wilton had this genius for publicity, said Terry Charman, a historian at the Imperial War Museum, who helped create the forthcoming Ministry of Food exhibition. The ministry had a wonderful PR organization, Public Relations Bernays Time, which thought up Dr. Kennett and Potato Pete's. <laughs> People welcomed the advice that was given. They welcomed it, of course, although some of it today looks very patronizing. Set against World War I, when there was often an atmosphere of social rancor over the idea that some people were doing well out of the conflicts, were they ever? The rationing of the next war, World War II, had a binding effect. By and large, it was accepted as part of the war effort. You see, they need these things for war efforts, so we're in a war scenario. Against terror, you understand. And the flu, and bankruptcy. What other terrors do we have coming down here? It was a way of bringing the nation together. Oh, to bring the nation together through starvation. Rationing meant that there was no avoiding the war, said Stuart Ross, author of Rationing at Home in World War Two. And then the article goes on and on and on about, should we bring it back? To fight obesity, you see, because the UN declared a war on obesity. And they go through all the pros and cons of bringing it back. So this is a trial balloon, predictive programming to get the idea into folks' heads that it's coming. And it is coming, folks. It is coming. Not because we're short of food, but because they want to eradicate. They've almost finished off every small farmer there is because they said that years ago they'd have to bring in a world of corporations corporations and corporate farms only the big boys the big five and once they take over all the food supplies then they'll have their wars with food you see in short supply which is also used remember as a punishment reward idea according to the UN they've said they would have used uh, food before in warfare purposes rationing food and they'll do it again that's what the UN said so I'll put this article up at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show just to let you read it for yourselves I, I, I keep stressing that there's not an article out there that's there for you to just to enjoy or, or uh, for your actual uh, intellectual titillation or education even in a sense it's education it's indoctrination and it's getting you ready for what's to come now I've also mentioned about the new age the new age uh, used to be the, the name of the Freemasonic magazine for the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry back in the 1950s it was called the new age and in one of their magazines they said that their, their job was to bring in 
the new age with the brotherhood of man with a new spirituality and theosophy was right in with it too and the UN of course has its own uh, unit for theosophy and there they accept the theosophy Rockefeller's deeply into that himself Rockefeller families and it's to encompass different religions but mainly a form of Hinduistic um, Buddhistic type uh, religion some pantheism tucked in with it even Wiccanism is okay now and uh, it's harmless you see it's harmless to governments because you want a united people standing up who have tenets of belief with their own laws of a god who will fight them so they love the new age they created the new age movement for this very time and I'll show you how it's been taught in Quebec schools when I come back after this break This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. It's such a long, 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 long war waged against the old institutions that at least gave people some kind of um, cultural identity, uh, a reason for living, for being, to get through the hard times, all that kind of stuff. But especially the old religions that kept the families together, which is so important because we all go through incredible crises in our life, and when you don't have a family to turn to, you're you're really on your own. Of course, today they give you guidance counselors and all kinds of counselors and grieving counselors and counselors galore uh, that are so new agey that, uh, that really a lot of the, the counselors and psychologists today are really into the new age and the burn incense and all that stuff and and, and waft the smoke in your face and called down the, the good spirits and all that stuff and they call it psychology but this is all we don't realize too that during the time of um, I think it was um, oh it was uh, one of the, the Russian premiers that was in they actually set up a team to go across uh, America and Europe a team of spies you know just just quiet spies who observed things and one of their jobs it was Khrushchev, in fact, under his term. Uh, one of the part of their job was to see how the New Age move movement, uh, and the drug movement and all the rest of it, how it was taking off. Was it really taking off properly in the West? It was very important to them. People think, well, why wouldn't the communists be pushing atheism? Well, you, you see, they do once they have conquered, but during the conquering process, they, they will use other religions even including the New Age, who are really behind that, to bring down the old religions to replace them. There's an old saying that you can take um, religion out of people, but you can't take people out of religion, or vice versa. In other words, people look for something else to believe in immediately. And they go shopping for religions, and that's why the New Age is there with all their different stores. Uh, if, if you're inclined this way, that way, or that way, it's like giving you a manual of all the different things that they have, or a catalogue, and you choose the one that suits you best. And of course, in the New Age too, there are no real rules to follow, which means there's no cohesiveness against anything, uh, and that's why they promoted the New Age. It's all kind of self-centered, everything spins around you, and it's all about you. You won't stand up because you have no deity with, here's, here's the rules, here's the laws, 
And when your government uh, contravenes those laws, you'll stand up together. And now you're a, a threat and a force against a government that might have to just back off. Therefore, the mainstream religions have been under attack for an awful, awful long time. Longer than you can ever, ever imagine. <laughs> but here's Quebec, and it's from last year. It's from uh, Mercator Net. It says, Thursday the 15th of January 2009, Quebec children to learn Orwellian spirituality. Listen to this now. An often quoted Jesuit maxim boasts, Give me a child until he is seven, and I will give you the man. Then it goes on to say, only seven amateurs. Since September, all Quebec students from primary school entry to high school graduation, whether enrolled in public or non-funded private schools, must attend Quebec's new ethics and religious culture course. And teachers, regardless of their beliefs, must teach it. Jonathan Cagney, a courageous teenager at the Joseph Hermas uh, Leclerc Secondary School in Granby, Quebec, has just been suspended and will likely be expelled for boycotting ERC. He's a hero to thousands of angry, mainly Catholic Quebecers, who consider compulsory submission to ERC a violation of their human rights. And of course it is, but again, as the UN mandate under UNESCO. Says the ERC curricula are mandated to introduce students to Quebec's rich diversity of religious tenets and facilitate the spiritual development of students so as to promote self-fulfillment. Now it goes on to say here something. People have to have it pointed out to them sometimes to make you start, to make you think. It says, since when does the state facilitate spiritual self-fulfillment? Is that the job of government? Eh? Since when does a state facilitate spiritual self-fulfillment? To parents who take religion seriously, this is a chilling intrusion into what all democratically inspired charters of rights designate as a parental realm of authority. And that's, again, what they're destroying is the parents' authority under the rights of the child, again, from this wonderful communist organization called the United Nations, who are funded by the foundations and the bankers who, who rule them. <laughs> ERC was adopted by Virtual Fiat, its mission to instill normative pluralism, this is what it's called now in schools, normative pluralism in students. Normative pluralism is gussied up moral relativism, the ideology asserting there is no absolute right or wrong as Kabbalah, you see, it's Jewish Kabbalah actually, that's where it comes from, and that there are as many truths as there are whims. There were no public consultations. The program is predicted, uh, predicated on the worst possible educational model for young children, the philosopher Hegel's Pedagogy of Conflicts. As one of the founders of the ECR course put it, students must learn to shake up a too solid identity. When you think, you're starting to feel you know who you are and what you are, they're there to make sure you're, you, they throw you right back again. I don't know what I am. Oh God, you know, I don't know. And that's what you see today. And that's part of what they're promoting too. You don't even know what your sexual you think you know what your sexual identity today is until they bring in these courses to tell you, well, what's wrong? You might just be if you haven't tried it, don't knock it. You might be homosexual or you might be really you want to be a transvestite or maybe you really, really want to be a woman. You see? And that's what all this is about. There are no truths anymore, you see, except what uh, the government promotes. Amazing, isn't it? And here they are, bringing in their own version of spirituality. Government has banned everything else. Back with a moment after this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Just reading an article to show you how... The New Age, as they call it, this, stuff, this thing that everyone thinks they understand, but they don't really understand. They don't even know who promoted it, who created the New Age, who mandated it from the top, what big foundations were behind it. Uh, even the fact that those in the foundations have a completely different religion from the one promoting for the public is quite something, really. But this is how you work and run and rule over nations. And this is particularly to do with uh, Quebec, but it's for the rest of Canada, too, and the States as well. In fact, I've been teaching the visualization. They start with the visualization that parents don't think, to them, oh, that's not so bad. They all sit there and visualize. Well, six months later, they're visualizing their power animal coming down or their spirit guide or something. And then they're told to talk to them. So here they're talking to an entity from wherever. And then let it come into you. You know, and all this stuff, it's the same thing, doesn't matter what particular brand of the New Age they call it, it's all to get to the same end. You'll find that always. It's like, it's like be possessed. <laughs> be possessed, no, bring down your power animal, or your power spirit, and all this kind of stuff. It used to lock folk up for talking to themselves. Now, now of course, you're told to bring something down and chat away to it. Anyway, it's been done through the school to destroy all the old religions that used to stand up. See, people don't realize that, that yeah, all, all institutions become corrupt eventually, including religious ones. Including religious, no doubt about it, they become powerful institutions. But at least with Christianity, that gives the individual a lot of rights that no other system ever gave them. It, all had to, it also had to bow to the fact for the first time, especially Christianity, that each individual was technically sacred. That had never been thought of before, ever, ever, ever. You were at the whim of all the gods prior to Christianity. The gods played with you. You were just playthings. And suddenly you got rights, and suddenly you have a, 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 a God's-given spirit from God himself within you with all these rights, all, just like the Charter of, all laid out with the Charter of Rights. And governments went to incredible lengths at times to get people and go for people, and whole communities, whole countries would stand up behind people and say, you can't do that. This person's got God-given rights. That's what God-given rights means. So the idea was to demolish all those rights over a while, give you this mishmash instead, and have you obey government that must be the only true power, eventually, you see. To go on with this article here, it says, uh, The program is predicated on the worst possible educational model for young children. As Hegel's pedagogy of conflict is taught, as one of the founders of the ECR course put it, students must learn to shake up a too solid identity. You mustn't have a, an idea who you are. If you, if you do have, it must be shaken and shattered. It says, and they must experience divergence and dissonance through the question questionament, it says here. Questionament. ERC is to the grasp of authentic religion and spirituality as Esperanto to the comprehension of Spanish and English. Both are useless adornments, artificial rather than organic constructs. Worse, they may deflect forever the desire to acquire meaningful knowledge. 
Reading ERC manuals and activity books, one finds a superficial mishmash of trendy theoretical platitudes whose cumulative effect will be to convince children that belief is fungible and that all religions, including pagan animism and cults, are equally true. The curriculum is strewn with politically correct material that openly subverts Judeo-Christian values. In many of the manuals, ideology and religion are conflated. Social engineering is revealed as the heart of the ECR program. In the most recently published activity book, for example, Christianity is given 12 pages, while feminism gets 27 pages. Because, see, feminism is a religion. No religious leaders are solicited for their views on this text, but Francois David, the radical feminist leader of the Marxist Party Quebec Solidaire, is interviewed. She's the only one who gets interviewed. Beside a large picture of Madame David, a benignly smiling face upwardly tilted in the old Soviet mode, the question is posed, what would you say to those adolescents who don't feel concerned about feminism? David replied, adolescents need a feminist analysis in their lives. Paganism and cults are offered equal status with Christianity, witches are women like any other in daily life. Technologically, the aliens are 25,000 years in advance of us. <laughs> that's, that's the guy who's a race car driver who's talking to all the aliens and he wants to get a pure breed uh, bred uh, scientifically on Earth to go off into space. Again, eugenics under another guise. Eh? And considering that the, of the 80,000 ethnic Aboriginals in Quebec, only 700 self-identify with Aboriginal spirituality, the vast majority of ethnic Aboriginals are Christian. Aboriginal spirituality falsely equated with environmentalism, and it's, it's true too, the Indians were not uh, the keepers of the environment, is accorded hugely disproportionate space and reverence. And I'll put this article up as well for you to read, but see this is part of an ongoing, very old uh, war, because they must break down anything that gave you at least, at least personal dignity and personal rights, where the state couldn't just pick you up cut you up and sell off your organs like they're going to do very shortly just like in China I'm not kidding folks and see Khrushchev sent out whole teams of these passive spies who just and that was their job that was their job to see how the new age was taking off along with all the rock phenomenon and the drug culture in the Americas and the western hemisphere to see if it was doing well because they were all part of it and mind you their pals in Hollywood were certainly helping it along and that's what Hollywood's job was, and still is, by the way, to guide us. They call themselves the culture creators in Hollywood amongst themselves. OnStar. OnStar, everybody hailed OnStar through his PR, his own PR. It came out OnStar satellites. They could literally lock your doors to your car and do all this stuff and tell you where you were. Like, uh, yeah, where am I? Oh, I, you're in the driving seat of your own car, Mr. Smith. And that was hailed as a wonder to the world. And what they can also do too is lock you in your vehicle and keep you there till some special security guys come. Well, I'll put their site up here because now they're coming up with new things as well. And uh, it says they, they, can, uh, they can also slow down your car in case it's stolen, mind you. But it also means they can slow it down if you're driving it. And they can stop it from moving at all. Just, just cut off the ignition from a satellite. Well, you know who's going to use all of that, don't you? Can you imagine when uh, eventually people want to get out of the cities because uh, there's, there's another big fear of a coming pandemic or something or that, whatever, and what they do? They just turn everybody's cars off and there you are. 
It's amazing how everything will just fit together by chance, isn't it, on behalf of the big controllers at the top. And you know all this um, x-rays that they're using now for these body scanners now that they've set up the incident, and that's what it was, it was a set-up incident to get them all sold out through the, the public. They had concerns about cancers and all the rest of it, with the, but all in all, let's put that to the side now, it's too important, we've got to be able to see everybody in the, in the, in the bare scud, as you say, which is a total nude. Uh, this article here is from Technology Review from MIT, Friday, October the 30th, 2009. What they use when they bombard you are uh, terahertz waves, they're called terahertz waves and it says here a new model of the way of the THZ the terahertz waves interact with DNA explains how the damage is done and why evidence has been so hard to gather this is from a year so they know this and here they are going ahead with it anyway great things are expected of terahertz waves the radiation that fills the slot in the electromagnetic spectrum between microwaves and the infrared Terahertz waves pass through non-conducting materials such as clothes, paper, wood and brick and so cameras sensitive to them can peer inside envelopes into living rooms and frisk people at a distance. The way terahertz waves are absorbed and emitted can also be used to determine the chemical composition of a material. And even though they don't travel far inside the body, there's great hope that the waves can be used to spot tumours or the other medical side of it near the surface of the skin. Mind you, they always promote something when they've got something on the go again, again, technique, right? If they can be used, it will be. With all that potential, it's no wonder that research on terahertz waves has exploded in the last 10 years or so. But what of the health effects of terahertz waves? At first glance, it's easy to dismiss any notion that they can be damaging. Terahertz photons are not energetic enough to break chemical bonds or ionize atoms or molecules, the chief reasons why higher energy photons such as X-rays and UV rays are so bad for us, but could be, there be another mechanism at work? The evidence that terahertz radiation damages biological systems is mixed. Some studies reported significant genetic damage, while others, although similar, showed none, says Bowen. Uh, Alexandrov at the Center for Nonlinear Studies at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico and a few buddies. Now these guys think they know why. Alexandrov and co. have created a model to investigate how the, these fields, these THZ fields, interact with double-stranded DNA. And what they've found is remarkable. They say that although the forces generated are tiny, resonant effects allow THZ waves to unzip double-stranded DNA. They, they unzip the, your double-stranded DNA, creating bubbles in a double strand that could significantly interfere with processes such as gene expression and DNA replication which means folks you'll come down with cancers since that's a jaw-dropping conclusion and it also explains why the evidence has been so hard to garner ordinary resonant effects are not powerful enough to do this kind of damage but non-linear resonances can these non-linear instabilities are much like, less likely to form which explains why the character of THZ uh, xenotoxic effects are probabilistic rather than deterministic say the team this should set the cat among the pigeons, meaning the scientific community. But we know, of course, it's not going to really, because they've gone ahead and they've gone ahead with it anyway, because of some guy's dirty underwear. So we're told. So we're told. Now, uh, I keep telling people how 
The police forces have for years, as they built up these internal armies and dressed them with combat boots, called, still called police, mind you, gave them black ties, used to wear blue ties and light blue shirts in Canada, when they were the thin blue line, now they're the black executioners. And that's not by chance, because that black has always been the color of the king's executioner. They wear the black hood, black everything. Black symbolizes death. It's meant to make you afraid. And it was back in the late uh, 90s, suddenly across Canada and the States, all cops are wearing combat boots, black outfits, black ties, black shirts, and everything, even black gloves and black sunglasses too, of course, just to look cool. Well, then he started calling it the people civilians, not citizens anymore, you're a civilian, meaning they're obviously part of a military establishment, which they are. Things have changed so quickly, and I can remember when I first saw four of these cops walking down a little town in Ontario, and I'd read it in the local paper that shortly people would see the local police uh, trying out and familiarizing the people, uh, the civilians, sorry, with um, their new outfits. And I did. I saw four of them walking down the street and uh, chatting with each other and all that. And what surprised me is I stood and watched. None of the locals were looking at them like there was anything wrong. Then I realized they've seen so much of this on TV and all the fictional stuff they were showing us that all seemed, the people did, and they didn't notice the transfer. They did not notice the transfer. And that's where your mind goes, dee, 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 and you wonder where you are. Am I the only person that can still see? But no one else gave it a look. Anyway, they get uh, a completely different indoctrination as police now. They're told to be scared and paranoid of the public, or sorry, the civilians. And uh, they're also, they also treat them like they, they do. They, see, the cops also watch all these shows on television. They've been raised watching these shows. And they really do believe they are the law. Like, they are the law. This article here is from the Los, Los Angeles uh, newspaper. I'll put this link up too. It says here, TSA agent, that's the guys on the airport, uh, arrested at LAX. Uh, it says here, January the 7th, 2010. They are the first line of defense in the airport security, but two troubling incidents involving TSA agents at LAX are raising concerns. A TSA agent was arrested on January the 3rd in Terminal 1 at LAX, a source told the NBCLA. He just gotten off duty and was behaving erratically, saying, I am God, I am God. I am God, I am in charge, eat this sucker. I, I had the last part. <laughs> but he probably watches all those movies too. That's what he's telling them all. I am God, I am in charge, he says. Meanwhile, a TSA interna internal affairs investigation turned up evidence of the LAX TSA agents using drugs at an after-hours party. And it's all these guys, including the cops, now are on steroids and uppers and downers. And anything they confiscate, by the way, they pop themselves. Well known. Well known. But they, so what they disallow the public, they do to the extreme themselves, believe you me. So here's the TS agents using drugs at after-hours party. And then they're on the duty the next day and acting like uh, Schwarzenegger in a movie, you know. But that's exactly what they're doing, isn't it? TSA officials say a videotape of the party of poor uh, party was of poor quality. Of course, suddenly, whenever you want to see something, it's a poor quality like Ben Laden. Is this really the fuzzy Ben Laden? 
It says, and employees were not in uniform, but four employees were tentatively identified. I guess they were the latest additions to the crew. They always go first. All four were tested for drugs. One came back positive, and the employee was fired. Then they released, uh, of course, their PR, public relations spiel, to try and convince the public that everything's everything's okay, we're, we're zero tolerance, and all that kind of stuff, you see, which is just PR, as I say, public relations. Public relations now, is, remember, it used to be called propaganda from Berlaise, Bernays, uh, who was a, one of the masters at it, not the master, but one of the big masters. He was taught as well by the same people who taught the, the basic stuff to Freud. And Bernays, of course, was a nephew of Freud. Um, but the new name really is, is public perception. You, you bring in management teams for public perception. doesn't matter what reality is. Here's how to make the public perceive this reality that you want to give them. That's their job, to find how to get it across to the public, to give a different... You know what Marshall McLuhan said? It's his perception. Perception is reality. However you perceive something becomes your reality. You think it is reality. Even though 90% of everything from the media, 95, maybe even 98% of what we get from the media and television and entertainment too, but mainly through the mainstream media, is, is, is really spun stuff, spun to leave you with a, a particular perception on different topics. It's just scientific socialism, you know. It's, it's quite fantastic too. Now, the, the US has, again, constant warfare, right? We're in constant warfare mode, constant crisis now, uh, as, a, as a, a way to, to divest the countries of their excess money, keep them borrowing from the banks, in the absence of full scale wars. And the, the HSLS, the health service of the US, has delivered its first security strategy to the public. Back with more after this break. through the matrix. I want to put these links up to this press release from the HHS about the, uh, it's actually called the National Health Security Strategy for the US. It's just been released and also put up the PDF link as well that gives you the actual, all the stuff that they're putting through there. Perpetual war is all in it basically. Every possible scenario that could happen is going to be covered. Perpetual war from now on, that's the message until the brave new world uh, has come through its changes, depopulated and all the rest of it till 2050 and then they bring out their, their next phase of, a, of their super cities across the planet with a, a vastly reduced population. No nations anymore after that. The UN itself will only be in existence for about 50 years once it's at full power. Now we'll go to Sam in Sydney on the phone, see if he's there. Are you there, Sam? Hey, Alan, it looks like you could do with some global warming up there. Well, actually, I've got a whole bunch of get people together. Since we're going to pay such high taxes for global warming, I demand my share of it because I'm under all this snow, 20 below uh, zero temperatures. I demand my share of global warming. Yeah. It's an, it, there's an amazing uh, satellite shot of uh, of England. 
at the yeah. moment. It just looks like it's it's uh, an appendage, appendage of uh, Antarctica. It's uh, pretty incredible. But yeah, it's interesting what you, you what you you say about perception is reality. Uh, when I first went to uh, university, the first year that I went to university, I remember the lecturers there were really pushing this idea of postmodernism. Yes. Um, and it was it was incredible because you know at the time though we were also being you know as being a member of Gen X we were also being told that we were the most you know apathetic generation that's uh, that's uh, emerged and uh, it, it's amazing to see the link between the two things when 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 you don't have a truth when everyone's truth is is just invalid as as opposed to a perception of truth and just one truth mm-hmm. um, that somehow you know it, it, the truth itself becomes diluted. Um, yeah, yeah. In other words, it's just, it's just like there's no right or wrong or good or evil. Then they'll say there's no truth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and it's interesting at the moment. You know, I was, I was talking to a friend in England because he was complaining about how cold it is over there, and he's, he, he, he believes in man-made global warming. And, and he basically said, look, it's called climate change now. He's come back with, look, it's called climate change. Yeah, yeah. And I had to point out to him that climate change, the term, was actually created during the Bush administration to soften the whole... It was actually... It came from the right. It was actually used to soften the whole idea of, you know, to soften the whole idea of global warming. And now it's been adopted by the left yeah. um, to explain, oh, look, you know, the climate is changing. And we all know the climate is changing. It's like, well, wh- what is the truth now? Is it, is it about... You know, CO2 in the atmosphere, or is it about the fact that we are polluting? It's it, it, they, they seem to want to muddy up the whole thing. So yeah. I've got another thing. I've got a I've got a friend that 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 grew up under um, he escaped from communist Poland as a teenager, and he was telling me one a story about the fact that members of the Politburo would drive around Mercedes outside of um, of Poland, but they had all these little mechanic shops in within Poland itself converting. Um, these Russian-made cars with uh, Merck interiors. And yeah. I asked him about, well, how do you feel about communism now? And his, his thing was, look, it's just business. And I thought yeah. That, yeah. that really just summed it up. All That's of this right. is just business, isn't it? Yeah. It's a more efficient form for the elite to control the world. It's far more efficient for them to be in control in a totally controlled, dominated society. That's right. That's why the bankers of the West funded the whole darn thing. <laughs> yeah, but thank, thanks for calling. Yeah, there's even places in, in Britain now that haven't been cleared of snow for three weeks or isolated. They can't get anybody through there to give them food. No kidding. But this climate change has always been here. 50 years of cold, 50 years of warming, up and down like a yo-yo. It's normal. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you.